From Baltimore, Maryland, this is The Stoop Sessions, a One Hope podcast. Join us for conversations about ministry on The Stoop. Learn more about our work at www.onehope.gives. Welcome to The Stoop Sessions. Welcome. Yeah, I'm Stephanie. I am Joel. What's your last name, Steph? Stephanie Greer. Okay. Yeah. And your middle name is LaFerriere. LaFerriere, yes. Your previous... Uh, maiden name. Maiden name. And now that's everyone because has all the information they need. Haitians did, do not have middle names? Some Haitians don't. I think the firstborn sons always get a middle name. Okay. But, I, you know, and oddly enough, you didn't ask me for this. All of my siblings have very, outside of um, my sibling, Vladimir, have very biblical names, and my parents just named me Stephanie. We've got Jemima from Job, <laughs> John the Apostle, and we've got Stephanie from an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Yeah. That's it. Okay. But Stephanie the Lord saved me, so we're okay. Yes. And we have a guest with us today. We do. Now, I've got to say, this is Sevi's probably favorite baby series because he has not been left with um, a lot of people, but there's not many people I know that would babysit my kid for nine hours and have him entertained um, and be able to babysit a dog at the same time. So we have mm. Dr. Kevin Smith on the stoop with us. It is so good to be here. It is good to have you. Mm. That was an interesting day. Yeah. Uh, Sevi <laughs> stole the show and my daughter's dog was not too happy about it. <laughs> I heard about this, a little jealousy yes. from the dog. Mm-hmm. Came back and Dr. Smith was both rubbing the, ba- the the baby's belly, rubbing the dog's belly with his foot and holding the Hold baby the in baby. one arm. Had to multitask, brother. And I thought, I, I've left him in such a good place. He was unbothered when I came back to get him. Yeah. It always hurts you as a parent, but you're also excited. Well, <laughs> speaking of multitasking, uh, Kevin Smith is a multitasker. Mm-hmm. He travels all over the place. He has been the executive director for the Baptist Convention of Maryland, Delaware, which is, uh, has been a blessing to us since we are in that uh, state convention. And uh, he speaks, he tweets. You haven't been tweeting as much lately, have you? No, been in transition. <laughs> in uh, transition. Uh, doing, wearing fewer hats. Okay. And getting back to the local body. Uh, that I love and miss. Yeah, and so your new role. Let's 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 hear about that a little bit. What are you uh, What are you now doing? I'll be pastoring uh, Family Church Village, which is in West Palm Beach, Florida, and a uh, little SBC trivia. Uh, it was previously named Northwood Baptist, and it was the church that uh, Adrian Rogers grew up in, and he was ordained there. That's wow. wonderful. And is this the family church, uh, which is a part of the family yes. of churches with uh, Jimmy Scroggins? It is. Is that correct? That's right. And are you going to be preaching every Sunday, or does Jimmy Scroggins uh, have a video no, no, sermon no. coming in? What's, what's the deal there? It's a network of neighborhood churches, and uh, I pastor one of those neighborhood churches. So it's an autonomous church in fellowship in, ne- in a network with the others. Yes. And you'll be preaching every week, yep. minus the weeks that you're gone. What a transition. Well, these first this first year there'll be a few weeks that I'm gone because I just want I'm just so excited to get planted back in a local congregation. That's wonderful. So. Well, brother, we have enjoyed having you uh, for what has it been five years? It's been five and a half years. Five yes, and a half sir. years here in in Maryland, and uh, you know I've told you before that I feel like it's it's been as far as my own participation in the convention and mm-hmm. experience. Some of the best five years, uh, and uh, just really appreciate your voice and what you've brought to our area, our, our network of churches, and uh, your mentorship uh, of myself as we've been able to meet for lunches and coffees and talk about preaching and discipleship and everything else. Amen. No, I'm very excited. Um, the Mid-Atlantic region is a wonderful mission field, and we have um, a lot of churches that are trying to be fruitful for the Lord Jesus Christ in ministry. Uh, I'm very impressed that there's been a lot of intentionality and effort uh, pushing through all the challenges of uh, COVID-19. And uh, I have great hopes and uh, expectations regarding the future church planning, church revitalization, and uh, missions partnerships. And so it's been a pleasure to be here. Uh, nothing um, tops meeting brothers like you and um you know, our convention has two sin cities, sin DC and sin Baltimore, but sin Baltimore certainly 
is the heartbeat of uh, what a lot of Merlin Delaware Baptists think about. And so uh, brothers like you who are trying to do indigenous ministry and love your neighbor mm -hmm. as you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's been really, really an encouragement. And we thank the Lord for the Garden Church. Amen. Amen. And we have with us uh, your wife, Miss Pat. She's sitting sitting here. In, yep, just gassing up On the stoop. Yes. On the side. She's and, on the uh, stoop. What a wonderful <laughs> support she's been to you as well. I don't usually get to talk ministry and uh, rub a woman's leg at the same time. So <laughs> It's happening. This, this is a sweet spot. Yeah. That's one of those quotes that you have to keep in context. Yeah, 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 yeah. In a specific context with only a specific person. Love it. Love it. Um, now, what you don't know is Miss Pat has a ministry of hugs. I mean, mm -hmm. the best hugger. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I don't think anybody else would correct me. All right. Yes. Just great. Good to know. Can yeah. I get a hug before we leave? People yeah, who are flaky church members yeah. would come to church because they needed a hug. It's kind of like a Titus 2. You feel like in that hug you're getting lessons too because mm. she lingers. Yes. She's not a weak hugger. Mm -mm. She lingers and she takes you in. Yes. I'm not kidding. I've said that off air several mm -hmm. times. So just wanted to now it's make on people record. jealous. Official. Yeah, I guess that's it. Anyway. So what are we talking about today? We have a lot of divisions in our churches, no. in our society as a whole. Um, sometimes what I think is sad is, is the fact that the, the divisions that we see in broader sort of secular society mm -hmm. are mirrored in the church. And yeah. I'm just scratching my head sometimes wondering, like, what is going on there? Yeah. Why is it that Christians are so divided. Um, and I, and I could tell you some reasons we're divided. Mm -hmm. You know, we can, I, I can go on about different arguments and different debates that are being had and why people think that they can't do church together anymore mm -hmm. because of some of these things. But uh, first of all, I guess, let me just ask you this question. Is it sad that the divisions in the church mirror the divisions in society? Uh, and, and why is that? Uh, it's tremendously sad. Um, it reflects a lack of sanctification um, from the beginning of the scripture when God brings his, the children of Israel out of Egypt. Uh, the rest of the scripture is wherever I take you, you are not to be like the people around you. Mm -hmm. um, he spends time in the wilderness preparing them to go into the promised land. When you get into this land, do not worship like the people around you. Do not have the moral, ethical habits mm -hmm. of the people around you. You ought to be a light to them. Israel should be a light to the nations. And um, continuously they would fail to do that and become like the nations around them, sometimes even appropriating the idols and the false worship of the nations around them. So it's tremendously sad because it undercuts our witness. And by the time we come to the New Testament, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And to be as divisive as the world, to have the same kind of patterns and habits as the world, just undercuts our sanctification. Mm -hmm. um, the founder of the Church of God in Christ, C.H. Mason, turned to the 20th century, he said, you know, we are to be a saved and a sanctified people in this present age. And, you know, nothing uh, about the church sets it apart from the culture. Same mm -hmm. kind of political divide, same kind of classism divide, same type of um, misogyny or sexual sins, same, same type of just lifestyle patterns. Mm -hmm. And so no one would look at Christianity written broadly and say, yeah, 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 these people are living a different lifestyle um, because they follow Jesus as Lord. Wow, that's sad. That's sad. The lack of sanctification is sad. So <laughs> I know it's so sobering. I mean, you know, I yeah. do that. So I, I'm hearing what you say, and then I'm, I feel like in parallel thinking about Ephesians four three, where it's like make every effort, yeah. right? make every mm -hmm. effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And so I guess I, I mean, like explore why. If the Holy Spirit yeah. does live in us, why then that's so why? important? How it's so important because it is part of the testimony that we have to the watching world. Um, Jesus says in John thirteen, "The world will know you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another." And so, as the world sees people who profess to be Christians um, 
fighting and gnawing at one another and destroying one another, devouring one another. Um, good King James word, don't devour one another. Mm -hmm. as, as the world sees that happening, it undercuts our testimony of who Jesus is. Um, mm. How do y'all say Jesus will change my life and um, he hasn't even changed your life and he doesn't isn't changing your life you're just as idolatrous as i am you're just as combative as i am you're just as unloving and narcissistic mm. and selfish as i am uh, what difference does jesus make in your life yeah and um it really really weakens and undercuts our efforts um so stephanie quoted uh ephesians 4 3 make every effort and i think um it's probably the effort that Christians give the least amount of attention to. So Bible-believing Christians would definitely say, yes, we need to contend for biblical truth. Jude, earnestly contend for the faith. They would say, yes, we had to put good effort into that. Uh, many Christians would say, yes, we need to live holy and godly lives. Think about our personal morality. Uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. But many Christians would not say, yes, we need to put good effort into pursuing unity. And so uh, the first two get effort from Christians. The third one does not get effort from Christians. Mm -hmm. And we see the consequences and the results of that. I think all three of those energies are tremendously important, especially because Ephesians 4.3 says that our unity is the unity of the spirit. Yeah. And so if we want the spirit's power. Um, we cannot grieve and quench the spirit. Um, and the things we want, regeneration, sanctification, those things are works of the Holy Spirit. Mm. We, we can't conjure that up. Right. Evangelism, Evangel <clears throat> uh, church planting, missions, you name yes. it. We need the spirit, we don't we? We need the spirit. So a, a ministry without the Spirit looks like what? 1 Corinthians 13, clanging symbols, Sheesh. just noise. And so what you're saying is, is just so I'm clear here, is that disunity in the church grieves the Spirit. Yes. And so we're trying to be effective in our evangelism, in our missions, and at the same time, we are uh, not pursuing unity. We're yes. not laboring with one another uh, to display the unity that we have in the Christ, yes. in Christ. So therefore, we're grieving the Spirit, yes. the power yes. behind all of our missions and our evangelism. Yes, yes. We want to do great things for Him, we say, and yet we deliberately grieve Him who empowers us to do great things. And so um, it's, a sad, it's a sad predicament. What are your thoughts about someone who, the perspective that would say, well, if we make every effort, that means we will water down um, evangelism. That means, uh, in making an effort means we, we will um, be okay with things that only the world is okay with. I'm thinking about some of the issues that divide um, in our church. I mean, there are, there are well-meaning, passionate believers who genuinely um, believe that they're making an effort and not making an effort at all. Yes. Meaning part of them dividing right. is... Is the, is the effort. Right, an effort for purity. I cannot link arms with that individual because they've lost the gospel. Mm -hmm. they, they've, they've gone off the... the, the so, so they might say, yeah, well, I'm all about unity, but I can't be unified with darkness, and so therefore I've got to disconnect myself from those that are linking up with darkness. Correct, correct. And thus have the power of the Spirit. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's... Independent, Baptist, fundamentalist, nuthead, second person, <laughs> third person separationism. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's just what um, it is. All, all that whole sentence. No, the, um, it, it's helpful to realize that all of us have not yet apprehended and um, you can't take a doctrinal disagreement or a um, moral struggle of another brother or sister and make their not hitting the mark an evidence of them having lost the gospel, mm. um, but you're not hitting the mark is just evidence of, uh, yeah, 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 we've not yet apprehended. Um, wow. You know, you have to take all of Scripture seriously. We yeah. know in part, we see in part, we mm -hmm. prophesy in part. Um, so none of us is just that clear to judge other people in and out. That's why we need the fellowship of local congregations. That's why we need the 
discipline of the local body. And also, um, you know, you look at Peter being taken um, in hypocrisy when he was eating with the Gentiles. You know, Paul went to him as a brother and loving rebuke and didn't say, well, you know, you've lost the gospel. I'm just not fiddling with you mm. anymore. Uh, you know, we write people off really yeah. quickly, and mm. it doesn't seem that love does that. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, love says, tell Peter who betrayed me, I mean, who denied me, tell Peter to meet me in Galilee. Yeah. Uh, love says, you know, I'll show up and um, show Thomas what he needs wow. to see, even though it's a sign of his weak faith. Wow, yeah. Um, and so Jesus deals with the disciples in their weakness. And then if you look at Acts 1 through 15, um, there's a great struggle to unify Jew and Gentile, even after the day of Pentecost. And so the type of um, perfectionism and I can't tolerate any shortcomings or misunderstandings in you that is characteristic of too much Christianity is totally foreign to the love ethic of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Peter was disconnecting from Gentiles because he was trying to please the Jews. Therefore, he was really linking up with this Jewish legalistic doctrine that had been developed. And Paul addressed it. He even uh, rebuked him to his face. Mm -hmm. But he didn't go and write a book about Peter naming him as a Apostate. Apostate, a mm. false, you know, somebody that you should not have in your church, not associate yes. with. You, uh, or don't, a tweet. Don't, don't invite him to the conferences yeah. anymore. That's right. No, we picked, we picked up pile on from the world. We picked up shaming from the world. Yeah. We've picked up uh, taking people's thoughts to the farthest extreme from the world. We picked up just lying and slandering people from the world. Again, a lack of sanctification and us behaving and engaging just like the world is behaving and engaging. It's going to take courage to have conversations and it'll even take courage to love those who others have shamed or canceled, for lack of a better word. So how do we raise men and women of courage? One thing is to, um, you know, fixing your eyes upon Jesus to have the pleasure of God to be our highest desire mm. uh, rather than favorability with other men, other people, whether it's other people in religious circles, other people in political circles, just favor with other people. The pleasure of God, obeying God's word, um, seeking to yield to the conviction and the leading of the spirit must be the believer's highest aim. Um, Mm -hmm. That's why we're called disciples of Jesus. He says, if anyone's going to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And that really, you know, we're far from that ethic. I mean, I don't hear Christians talk about denial often. Um, I don't hear Christians talk about the lordship of Christ in their life often. Um, I mean, we run it. We we don't even have scriptural lingo. We we run around saying the same kind of stuff the world saying. Hey, hey I'm just out here living my best life now. No, <laughs> nobody in a fallen world believes that yeah. crap is real. Come on, mm-hmm. I mean, and, and so we've got to have biblical paradigms for how we think about living life and going about life. And until we uh, really anchor our lifestyles in the scripture <clears throat> and the basic orientation of denying yourself, taking up your cross, following Christ. Uh, Greatest commandment is to love God and to love your neighbor. Until those New Testament things are foundational for how we set up our lives, we're going to just be floating and doing things the same way the world is doing. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we Mm. die. So to to give this some teeth or to to give this uh, 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 Unity bicycle, some handlebars. Yes. I like that illustration. You like that? Mm-hmm. You had said that we need to give an effort to this. We're giving efforts to other things, maybe some moral pursuits or devotional life. Amen to all of that. Um, to give effort to this cause of pursuing unity, laboring for the unity that we have in the Holy Spirit. What does that actually look like? Yes. It, it, meaning, like, let's say you got a church and you got Republicans in your church and you got Democrats in your church. You got people in your church who, and I'm going to go out on the limb, but we're on the stoop and we can do this, we right? We should do, yeah. You got people do. in your church who voted Democrat. They, they knowingly voted 
pro-choice, even though they might have pro-life convictions, but they believe that for whatever reason, that this platform can better address some of, some, some of those broader issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you've got somebody else in your church that says, I cannot get behind any candidate that thinks it's okay to murder life in the womb. And I think it's straight up sinful that you voted that way. And I can no longer be in a church that doesn't discipline this individual, you know, or let's flip it around. I can't believe that you voted for a uh, party that seems to create space for white supremacy and racism Mm -hmm. and attracts people like that, if not maybe being a racist platform itself. So you've got these kind of people in your church. What does it look like? Or is it possible to have a church where these two people take the Lord's Supper together? I think so if um, their political choices are just political choices and not idolatrous identity markers. Um, Making every effort, number one, it takes time, and a lot of times people don't want to invest that time. Mm. Um, I mean, I can tell you 10 different reasons why a Bible-believing Christian voted for a candidate in an election, and I can tell you 10 reasons why a Bible-believing Christian voted against a candidate in an election. Um, it's a political choice to say the most, political, the most um, important political issue to me in the United States is abortion or racism or greed or military policy or whatever. The Bible doesn't tell you what the number one political issue is in the United States in 2021. So that's like a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> how you go about things, how you apply it. I know people that are pro-life or um, that they think abortion is a sin and they spend their lives engaging in uh, political efforts and legal efforts regarding laws and legislations. I know people who think abortion is a sin and they spend their lives dumping themselves into crisis pregnancy centers. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's, I think you have to look for spiritual New Testament principles, not just, I think this is the issue or I think that is the issue because in a fallen world, many things are the issue. Mm -hmm. Um, Greed. Homosexuality. I mean, there's so much sin in our culture. It's hard to say, well, this is the issue. Um, and then secondly, you have to push Christians to be consistent. I mean, like if you're a Christian and you hate abortion and you hate wick, I think you're a little bit stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're not all the way, you, you, you're more into politics than you are mm. the reality of I hate abortion and I want to see less women in crisis where they mm. think they have to make economic choices about mm-hmm. being a mother. You're not standing up for mothers in need, period, which is really the issue. So, right. So just to say, uh, you know, and if you if you if you scope it out historically, you know, the Catholic Church was much more into um, defending the life of the unborn way before Protestants were. And at some point late 70s, um, early 80s, um, there was a linkage between Protestantism and Bible-believing Protestantism and the Republican Party around the issue of life. Uh, Coming out of the Civil Rights Movement, there was a linkage between many historic black denominations and the Democratic Party regarding issues of uh, the image of God and men and women, regardless of their ethnicity or their racial status. I mean, so... You know, the, any Christian, many Christians can explain to you why they have the political convictions that they have. But I think we need to at least be honest enough to say, you know, we're trying to make political choices in a fallen world mm-hmm. and there are no perfect choices. Now, I do think we need to worry about Christian disciplines and Christian truth like inconsistency and hypocrisy. I mean, there were Christians who became millionaires writing books about why leadership must have character and why Bill Clinton is a scoundrel. And then some of those same people were like singing a different song when it came back to uh, 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 President Trump. And so I think uh, when the world, yeah, I'm not talking about the church, when the world can point out inconsistencies in Christian thinking at the level of principle, uh, then we've undercut 
uh, our, our proclamation about biblical truth, our proclamation mm-hmm. about infallible truth. But no, I think if, if, a, if a person voted for candidate X and a person voted for candidate Y and they're in the same congregation, yeah, I think they can have the Lord's Supper together. I think they can be friends. I think they can do a lot of things. So all these issues, some of these issues are life and death. Yeah, they're life and death all over the place. Yeah. Uh, not given a the lack of wick is a life and death issue. I mean, abortion is a life and death issue. Uh, unjust application of the death penalty is a life and death mm-hmm. issue. A whole lot of stuff sure. is life and death yeah. issues. Sure. Um, immoral mil- use of the military is a life and death issue. Police brutality is a life and death issue. It's been a life and death issue for over 100 years mm-hmm. in America. I mean, so a lot of stuff is a life and death issue. And you can't really take the scripture and say, yeah, but what I think is a light, what, the, the issue I'm most concerned right. about is what God's most yeah, concerned about. God that, that's, that's the, yeah. uh, that undercuts Christian fellowship when you make your politics God's politics. Mm-hmm. Or when you make your country God's country. I mean, you know, the, the follower of Christ in the United States of America is no more a follower of Christ than the follower of Christ in Kenya or Korea. This issue that I stand for is God's issue. I feel like that yeah. Sum, yeah. sums up what it looks like, at least when, as it relates to yeah. politics. I feel like to actually live the life that you're talking about would mean I'd have to assume the best of my yeah. fellow brother or sister. Yes. Like truly assume um, the best like assume that that their desires are going against their own yes. witness and their own love yes. for the Lord, their own commitment to truth. Yes. And so I, I wonder too, so many times we do let the world and social media and all these other influences tell us who our enemy is. And it's very, yes. it's just sad to see. It's sad. It's sad from uh, across generations. I feel like I can speak for... Um, Especially if you have long-standing relationships with people. Part of making every effort is... Just asking them why they're doing what they're doing instead of just assuming. Yeah. Um, That's good. You know, I had a friend, I was like, you know, I can assume that since he has access to the Oval Office doing a particular administration, he's just in there being impressed and he's just in there really like ring kissing. Mm-hmm. And so I just call him, like, yo, when you're in there, <laughs> what, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> can you even talk? Yeah. Uh, do you have do you ever ask this person about their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, are you in there as a Baptist minister or are you just in there somebody happy to be in a room? Yeah. I mean, so you know, just assume mm-hmm. yeah. if you know a generally otherwise evangelistic brother mm-hmm. or sister, just assume that they're probably evangelistic in that setting and let them tell you that they aren't. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, but don't just assume the worst about a brother or sister. But we can't act like our politics is God's yeah. politics. And don't you feel like as part of this not assuming the worst and believing the best is really asking people to clarify and define what they mean, you know? Somebody says a, a word that's kind of a buzzword, that's a wh- whatever party you're part of or whatever tribe you're part of, that's like a, a uh, no-no word in that tribe. And we can easily just cut people off because of the, their vocabulary, because of their words, uh, as opposed to asking them, well, what do you mean by mm-hmm. social justice? What do you mean by systemic racism? You know, define some of these things that mm-hmm. have become such hot topic debates. And then we can talk about your definitions. We can talk about the actual, get into the weeds of, of all of these things, as opposed to just the surface level of, I'm cutting you off and cutting off this entire church because they use some vocabulary uh, that I deem outside, mm-hmm. of, outside of bounds. Yeah, yeah I think um, one of my principles is I try to start from a common vocabulary that we share together as Christians. So, um, so my, my pinned uh, tweet says, Saints, when discussing tense matters with fellow Christ followers, it can be helpful to one use biblical language and paradigms, avoiding secular combat mm. rhetoric. And so when I'm talking to a, a brother or sister about racism, especially a white brother or sister, I mean, I can say white supremacy. I can say whiteness. I can say white nationalism. I mean, I can say all those kind of things. But I can also just speak about the sin of partiality yeah. and how it works out and yeah. talk about white, black, and American history and approach it that way as well. I mean, I, there's no advantage in discussing something 
if you just intentionally kind of use words that already put people on the defensive. Mm. Um, I want to get to the matter of sin um, or righteousness that we're trying to discuss. Um, and then secondly, I want to I want to think about the language I use. I want to use biblical language, and then I want to engage them as a family member. And I'm seeking to persuade them and learn from them rather than just treating them like I'm a lobbyist or an activist, mm. and I'm just trying to maneuver an opponent. Um, making every effort is every effort is valuing unity more than just like winning an argument or something like that. But we have to acknowledge some biblical truths um, in a fallen world. You know, no political party is Mount Zion. No candidate is David or Joshua or Abraham. And we have to really kind of like have perspective on that. And that's how people with different political persuasions can be at the Lord's table, be in a small group, be in Christian fellowship with one another. Mm -hmm. Um, Our unity, remember, it's the unity of the spirit. Our unity is really anchored and the person and work of Christ and the things affiliated with Christ and other things are like sub sub identities and mm-hmm. sub affiliations. So we really have to approach it like that. Um, I'm looking at your bookshelf. Many people have written on this in the history of the church. Uh, American Christianity is tremendously weak on identity in Christ. And, um, you know, most of... Uh, the tensions in American culture are people trying to identify with this group or that group mm-hmm. or this group or that group. And you would think that Christians would have a transcendent identity in yeah. Christ, and we don't. Yeah, been a lack well, of formation that way. Not, I mean, we can see that. And I don't blame any of that on people in the pews. I blame it all on clowns in the pulpit. Ooh. Are there any other areas that threaten the unity of the church in your mind outside <clears throat> of politics and ethnicity, some of these things that seem to be kind of in the forefront. Those are the things, the things you talk about, but there might be some threats that are sneaking in the back door that we're not even aware of. Yeah, yeah. I, I think obviously politics and race, ethnicity are out there, but um, you know, I found whether a congregation is different demographically or whether a congregation is homogeneous like all black or all white, um, there can be challenges developing a united family if there's gross socioeconomic distinctions within the congregation. And Colossians 3 and Galatians 3 say that that ought not be so. Mm. Um, Mm. Brothers and sisters ought to be able to be together in a Christian congregation regardless of socioeconomic status. Um, And that one doesn't get as much attention just because of the um, issues of the political division um, and the um, race and ethnicity. That's right. Mm. James, do not show partiality. Yeah. There is directly relating to socioeconomic yes. issues, class issues. Uh, somebody comes in wearing fine, fine ring, mm-hmm. fine, yeah. fine clothing, and gold rings, That's and right. uh, we we look down on the person who's coming in wearing rags. Uh, and yeah, I think that that's something that I, I am always concerned about, even in our own church, mm-hmm. that we don't show partiality uh, to the least of these, or at least mm-hmm. who society currently mm-hmm. defines as the mm-hmm. least of these. And that often has to do with class, even within uh, uh, certain ethnic groups. Uh, a lot of disunity can happen over class not just simply uh, some of these political issues that we talk about. And one more that I think is tremendously important is um, a good 1 Corinthians 12 appreciation for the diversity of the body. Mm. Um, So my congregation, my denominational family is part of the broader body of Christ, Mm -hmm. and I should not have any superiority context, a complex about that. Um, And one way to make every effort is to deliberately appreciate the gift and the blessing that other parts of the body are. Mm. Uh, For example, I'm a Baptist, and I wouldn't have a whole lot of the books that I have if it wasn't for Presbyterians who Mm. have a strong scholastic tradition and write a lot. Um, I'm a Baptist, but a good amount of the music that I enjoyed growing up in gospel churches were written by Pentecostals, people like Andre Crouch and Walter Mm -hmm. Hawkins. And so um, I think it's good exercise for people to appreciate 
parts of the body that are different than you. Um, Baptists and Presbyterians have a different understanding of baptism, uh, uh, credo-baptist versus paedo-baptist, but we ought to be able to appreciate one another. Baptists and Methodists have a different understanding of polity, uh, autonomous congregations um, versus uh, a uh, hierarchical setup with a bishop or an outside group with a presbytery of Presbyterianism. Um, and so uh, Pentecostals and non-Pentecostals have a different hermeneutic of uh, understanding of Acts chapter 2 mm. and the doctrine of subsequence and initial evidence. We need to do a much, in a, in a secularizing world, we need to do a much better job of appreciating different parts of the body. I mean, it's amazing the kind of disparate kind of people that can come together for a particular political goal or the disparate kind of people they can come together in a stadium um, for a football game, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yet um, Christians are just too divided, even among other people that we would say, well, yeah, they're Christians. But uh, no, I, I think it's, it, we have to have a much better 1 Corinthians 12 appreciation for different gifts, different administrations, different, admi- uh, different uh, manifestations, but yeah. the same spirit. Yeah. We have to have a much better appreciation for 1 Corinthians 12. Um, Dr. Al Mohler, uh, president of Southern Seminary, uh, where I teach um, uh, years back, probably 20 years now maybe, I don't know, wrote an article called on the- Theological Triage and spoke about different levels of unity. Um, so at the broadest level, we should be able to recognize other people as fellow Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, at the basic level, if they can genuinely affirm something like the Apostles' Creed, yeah. the, mm-hmm. yeah. the, uh, the, uh, the Lordship of Christ, the uh, sacrifice of Christ. Um, and then we have a more tight sphere of unity where we would be in common um, beliefs about things like uh, baptism or other things. So that, that might be your denomination or your heritage. Things like, that allow us to do church together. Things that allow us to do church together. Of course, the biggest ones would be uh, Eastern Orthodoxy, Protestantism, and Roman Catholicism. But even within that, Protestantism, you know, you would have your denominational heritage. Again, we are in the Baptist heritage. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the closest unity would be the local congregation. Yeah, uh, Brothers and sisters, I just want to live with as brothers and sisters as we press through this world. Um, and I think within that body, um, we have just got to, we've got to be more about biblical love. Like if, if if 2016 harmed your congregation or your marriage or your friendship, then that's not on politics. That's not on Democrats or Republicans. Mm. That's not on Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. That's on you got a jacked up church or a jacked up marriage or a jacked up friendship. Mm. It's funny you say 2016 and not 2020. Oh, yeah. That was the beginning of it all. Oh, I was, <laughs> just, trying, I was just trying to get back. Oh, You're just trying to get away from 2020 for a second. I just we're not even going to yeah. talk about 2020. No, no, oh, we're not <laughs> able to do a recap yet. So real quick. Uh, That's another thing. Make every effort. I try, I try to get some space from stuff that people like already got a wad about. And yeah. let's, let's back up. Let's, <laughs> let's, back let's up stop talking about bit. 2020. Let's talk about 2016. Uh, yeah. So yeah. let's actually go back to 19, I don't know when you were born. Uh, I don't know when you graduate from high school, but I would like to know, you're talking about the church. Mm -hmm. Just real quick, how did you become a Christian and who discipled you? Where where did you get your your discipleship? Mm -hmm. How did you grow? Still a question. I grew up in a church um, that wasn't necessarily noted for strong Bible teaching, but had a very general ethic of um, the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with everything you have and love your neighbors yourself. Um, and it provided a very fine, um, common grace restraint on a wild teenager. Mm. <laughs> um, I heard the gospel in a moving way um, in chapel at college at Hampton University. The chaplain was an AME chaplain. He was AME. 
And it was a basic sermon on John 3.16. I don't really have a dramatic testimony. Um, it was just the first time I remember hearing it and hearing it with spiritual ears and hearing it with life-giving receptivity. Um, and to that point, the way I had lived my life and the way things were going, um, the domineering aspect was uh, you're not your own. You've been brought with a price. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's like the the stripping point for mm -hmm. me. Um, so that's the beginning of college. So I go through 18 to 22, um, you know, still at a very superficial, like, okay, I'm a Christian. Um, I need to learn the Bible. And in my college setting, being a Christian was like being in the gospel choir. That, that, that was how you demonstrated it. I'm a Christian. I go to chapel every Sunday. My grandmother would call me on Saturday mornings anyway. Don't forget, tomorrow's Sunday. <laughs> so I'm thankful for that. And so I would say what, what, what my, many people understand is discipleship and Paul-Timothy relationships or Titus II relationships. I would say um, that started when I... Uh, went to do some graduate school work in accounting and law at uh and i got into the main street baptist church and the pastor was dj ward um and that was the first time um to really systematically study the bible with the intent of applying it to one's life and obeying the word of god mm -hmm. and thinking about sanctification and he was raised uh spending summers with his Kojic uncle in St. Louis, and he was a Baptist from Western Kentucky. And so again, just kind of seeing the benefit of the broader body yeah. of Christ. Like Baptists, uh, uh, we, we don't talk about sanctification and growing in holiness as much as people in the Wesleyan holiness tradition. And so just benefiting from the body. So uh, Elder Ward is really where discipleship and biblical intentionality mm. began uh, in my life. Yeah, what's uh, a lesson... Um, Elder Ward taught you that you go back to often. Oh, my goodness. That's one of those. Um, I'm always telling people when I was in my 20s, when we would travel together, um, I just never understood why he would often pray at night when we prayed, Lord, let me end well. Mm. And, uh, you know, when you're, yeah, when you're just in your early 20s, you're like, uh, I don't know, I don't, I don't get it. But the more you live, you're like, oh, yeah, Lord, let me end well. Because you get to see so many people crash and burn mm -hmm. or, or, or fade out with bad chapters. Um, so that was one thing. Another thing was, you know, he would speak so much about warning, all, all the warnings in the scripture. He would yeah. speak about those kind of warnings. And he's like, you need to be careful of false prophets. Uh, John, you know, try every spirit by the spirit because there are many false prophets in the land. And, you know, when you're young and optimistic, like, is it really that bad? And so the greatest lesson is, like, it really is just exactly how uh, he described it. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. So the only way for you to discern that is is with God's word, I'd with, imagine. With God's word. It's personal yes. time and God's word. I know you chalk it up to uh, <clears throat> doing your one-year Bible one year. consistently for how many years? Ooh, coming up on 30 years. Wow. Ooh. And that's just, like, the simple... What could seem mundane, yes. looking through God's word, I'm um, looking into it to see. Um, you read through the Bible every year for 30 years? Yes. Praise God. And it I never it, knew that. It reads you. That's what's up. Yeah, it one year Bible you. gives you cool. an Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, and a proverb reading every day. Do you use an app or do you have a one year Bible? I have a one year Bible, but I, I use an app when I travel. Um, okay. And I've done it and um, I've jumped around a little bit. New Living Translation, NIV, see, but uh, out of those 30 years, I'm sure I've done it 22 of those years in yeah. the KJV. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm saying shout out to Western Kentucky, Western Tennessee, all those little places in the South that love the KJV. If only you guys could see his <laughs> wife's that face. That's Bring good. out the Barry White. I've got, I've got two more questions. Can I ask him? Sure. One's a series of questions. We'll wait for that. But um, what's the importance of Titus 2? So I'm going to give you my ulterior motive in, in asking you this. Uh, women in the church, sometimes overlooked, uh, mm. right? People are often talking about what women feel like they can't do, but there's mm. so much in God's word. There's so many opportunities. Mm. I reference Phoebe and all of these women, that I mean, Lois and you. And so I, I'm asking this, as you're going back into pastoral ministry full time, yes. what's the importance of Titus 2 for, for both men and women? 
And can you also, this isn't the second question, but there's a reluctancy, I feel like, of older women thinking they have a place in being Titus twos, and we've got younger women who are just starving. So maybe an yes. exhortation of sorts. Yes. For inner city context, why we need <clears throat> Titus twos, the importance. One of the things I'm thankful for as a pastor is in the congregations I've served, I've never had a sister think that I would not help her pursue whatever gifts she feels that the Lord has given her. Um, I left being executive director of the Baptist Convention, Maryland, Delaware, really happy um, that I named um, a sister as director of our camp, which is one of our major evangelism assets that we have. Um, I, I think it's uh, imperative if, 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 if pastoral ministry is equipping the saints for the work of ministry, uh, then the saints is the brothers and the sisters. And mm -hmm. so I think it's tremendously important to do that. Um, I tease my wife. Uh, we, we've, uh, since, since our nest has been empty, we've lived in large uh, apartment buildings, condo buildings. We like high-rise buildings. And... Um, I call her the mayor because it doesn't take long when we move somewhere before she gets to know people mm -hmm. and she's sharing the gospel with people. She's speaking into people's lives. And sometimes I'm uh, in the room or something and, and I hear her talking to someone and I'm amazed at the kind of stuff that they're spilling out to her. And I'm always telling people, I'm just like, you know, well, we're, you know, we're in our 50s now and people are backing up marriage. People are moving away from family because of career chasing and things like that. And so there's constantly women in their 20s and 30s that want a spiritual mother or at least a spiritual auntie or at least a spiritual big sister. Mm -hmm. And so I think the Titus II ministry is fruitful and I would encourage older women to think of it uh, as a gift from God and to consider others around you and um, I don't really have to persuade um, younger women because uh, when I talk to younger women and younger men they always want someone older in their life to walk with them and to help them think through some things um, let them still be an adult let them make their decisions but just kind of like to walk together mm -hmm. and so uh, the Titus 2 model is rich and um, I think it's part of a pastoral task to facilitate those kind of relationships um, within a congregation Good. Amen. All right. You ready for my second series question? Sure. All right. So it's a couple questions, and it's just a fast round, so I just want you to just spew off. So first question, favorite thing about your wife? Her eyes. Ooh. You know, we'll have to have another episode about how y'all got married, because I, I don't know if you can give it a 10-second spiel. Yeah, I was in the pulpit, and <laughs> this chick distracted me with a purple dress on and some purple shoes it's always and the a color purple royalty. hat and some eyes I couldn't figure out and the young minister got distracted. Oh Lord. <laughs> what, what church were you at? Main Street Baptist <laughs> Church were you there? election in Kentucky. Were you there on her first Sunday visiting or was she, she was, already a member there? No, she was visiting for a conference that my pastor hosted. Oh. She was there for a Bible conference. Her, her pastor was a son in the ministry of my pastor. And that was a short engagement, huh? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. <laughs> Are you wondering how short it was? How short? If I remember right, was it a week? Uh, two weeks? A month? A week? That's it. So, so you. But he was. So in you the, saw he was, her. He was. He was, he was praying. He was praying. There's some precursors. Yes. Wait a second. Was this a week from the moment you saw this she girl was in the purple dress? Out. Yeah. They yeah, were on the same yeah. page. They were. They were seeking the Lord, not Twitter. You so saw her different. and married her a week later. No, I didn't marry a week later, but I knew we were going to get married a week later. And and it was a week-long engagement. That purple dress was banging, Listen, bro. and he had been, they had been praying. It was affirmed. <laughs> Bad advice for everybody. Don't don't just walk up to a girl and be like, I've been praying for you. I just, yeah, it's no, their no, story. No. All right, so th these are go faster. Kenya or Ethiopia? Kenya. All right. All right. Uh, Hobby Lobby or Michaels? <laughs> Hobby Lobby. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They are some uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen, um, Wildcats or Cardinals? What? I know the answer. C-A-R-D-S. Uh, the Cardinals. C-A-R-D-S. And uh, lastly, Harley or Kawasaki? 
I just wanted to get a rise. Yeah, that's, that's you can yeah. pray for me. That's, My sanctification like, has Christian or Mormon. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Carly. Harley. Harley. Here I just he sits to with his people. button down and his nice professional blazer and a Harley Davidson. I'm just that's, happy he didn't bring Kevin his overalls. Smith right there. Today. His uh, overalls almost made an appearance. His Harley Davidson on the back of his shirt. You oh. just can't oh, see. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Just wanted to give people a glimpse of uh, all the aspects that that is Dr. Smith. He's an anomaly. He really, he really is. It's probably why you do unity well by God's grace. It's because you're not Amen. really committed to one specific identity besides being being um, being in Christ. And so, you're my first kind of go at Baptist life. I came from a, I came from another church. I don't know. We didn't have a denomination. I think, it, yeah, we'd say non-denominational. It was yeah. independent something. Grew up in a Haitian church. Grew up in a Haitian church. So a lot of different mixtures. And I remember seeing an article that Kevin Smith had been elected as the executive director. I had no idea what that was, nor did I even know I was headed to a Southern Baptist church. So I am really grateful Amen. that my first kind of glimpse of Southern Baptist life has been you and then I've gotten to meet Miss Patton. So I'm I'm super Amen. grateful. I'm I'm grateful people will be able to hear and glean. And I am thankful that you are the recording secretary the recording of the secretary. Baptist Convention yet of another, Merle in Delaware. Yet another time. <laughs> Mostly because I had Dr. Smith in my head. I'm like, ah, I should do it. And my yes. my the other Kevin. Yes. Kevin so, Greer. So I met I feel like we this. I feel like we got to share when we met Kevin Smith now. So I was at a expositor summit at Southern probably back in 2013 or so, 2014, 2012, something like that. And, uh, and I, had, I had heard of you. I don't remember how. And I ended up going to your breakout session uh, at yes. the expositor summit. You talked about your sermon prep and how yes. you do it. Uh, and then I bumped into you during some kind of debate on football. Do you remember this? They were having a debate on whether or not American football is is godly ah yes and anyway <laughs> yes. i think you were ro- in the back rolling your eyes sometimes and um, evangelicals are bored yeah <laughs> so we chatted a little bit and then i was so excited to see to hear that you were coming to maryland and oh, yeah. uh just what a pleasure it's been to to, to get here and to be under your Amen. under your tutelage mm-hmm. thankful for my wife making this journey a mm-hmm. tennessee girl lived five and a half years and Maryland in the mid-Atlantic, so I'm thankful for that. Well, uh, your story is just beginning. Mm-hmm. Amen. A lot of, lot of ministry to go, and we look Amen. forward to tracking with you and seeing how the Lord Amen. continues to use you. Yeah. Amen. Thank Visiting you so you under much. some palm trees. Yes. Thank you so much for the invitation, and we love you all and certainly the work that you do here, and pray God's blessings, and hopefully we'll be interacting on some things uh, in the future. Absolutely, absolutely. And if anybody would like to interact with us, info at onehope.gives. You can check us out on the web, uh, www.onehope.gives, and learn more about our work seeking to plant churches in the inner city. This is One Hope Stoop Sessions, signing off. (laughs) Bye. Thanks for listening to the Stoop Sessions. Be sure to catch us next time. As One Hope exists to build healthy churches in the inner city, check us out and connect at www.onehope.gives.